I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 this evening. We'll start there and then we'll turn back to the Old Testament and look at some things that this is referring to. Paul is writing to the uh, Corinthian church in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 as he's inspired by the Holy Ghost and he speaks of something that um, uh, that's in, important for us to recognize and to recognize the, the reasons for why he says what he does. We know that, uh, well, actually, a little bit further than what we'll read in the 10th chapter, he says that all these things were given to us as examples, that we would learn from uh, the mistakes that Israel made in the wilderness. Let's start reading in verse 1. It says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant. Well, if God didn't want them to be ignorant, he didn't want us to be ignorant either, right? I would not that you should be ignorant how that all of our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. This is talking about the cloud that uh, God appeared in to Israel. It's talking about them going through the Red Sea, passing through the Red Sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Now stop and think about what that means. They were baptized. The the Red Sea experience, which is a type of um, salvation, it's a type of coming out of the kingdom of of darkness and into the kingdom of light. It's It's a type or an illustration of coming out of the kingdom of Satan under Satan's bondage, the bondage of sin and death, and into what we know of and what's commonly called of salvation into the, the kingdom of God. Now, notice it says they were baptized into Moses. Why does it say he baptized them into Moses instead of unto God? Well, because Moses was a type of the one that leads us out of the kingdom of darkness, which is Jesus. So notice the salvation or the type of salvation is called being baptized unto Moses. It's real important that you realize that. And one of the reasons that it's important that you realize that is because if salvation was typified or illustrated by coming through the Red Sea, then what's crossing over the Jordan River into the Promised Land a type of? See, once you start talking about that, a lot of people will say, well, that's a type of going over into heaven. Well, if that's true, then the type should hold, shouldn't it? I mean... If it's uh, if crossing over the Jordan River into the promised land is the type of going into heaven, why were there giants and enemies in the promised land? Are you going to have any giants to fight in heaven? I'm not. You, you do what you want to, but I'm not me. Now, it can't be a type of heaven. The promised land can't be a type of heaven. Well, if it's not a type of heaven, it's not a type of salvation or being born into the kingdom of God. What's it a type of? It's a type of what belongs to us now in the body of Christ. It's a type of the Holy Ghost, being baptized in the Holy Ghost. It's a type of healing. It's a type of prosperity and all the other wonderful things the Bible says belongs to us because of the finished work of Jesus. That's what the promised land is a type of. It's a type of the church age and all the blessing that benefits thereof. Remember in Psalm 103, David said, bless the Lord, O my soul, bless the Lord, uh, and forget not all of his benefits. Then he identifies what some of those benefits are. He said, who forgiveth all thine iniquities. Well, thank God forgiveness is part of the blessings of God. But then he goes a little bit further. He doesn't stop there like most of the church does. He said, who healeth all thy diseases. He goes even further. He said, who crowneth thy life with loving kindness. And delivers thy life from destruction. He even went further and said, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your, new, you, your youth is renewed like the eagles. Folks, there's a lot of things that belong to us in the promised land as promised land blessings that the church doesn't take advantage of. So back to 1 Corinthians 10. They were all baptized, verse 2, unto Moses and in the cloud and in the sea. And they all did eat that same spiritual meat. Now notice he says the same thing belonged to everybody. The spiritual meat that's being talked about here is manna. Remember God provided manna for them in the wilderness. Actually, he provided manna for them before they got into the wilderness. He started providing manna for them once they came out of Egypt, received the law, and started going to the promised land. God's original plan was not that they spend 40 years in the wilderness. His original plan was they would spend whatever time it took going from point A to point B, point B being the promised land. And he's already started providing for them and giving them uh, manna, this spiritual meat, that which is a type of the Word of God. Give us this day our daily bread. It's a type of the Word to sustain them, and it sustained them all the time that they were in the wilderness. So they did all eat this same spiritual meat, verse 4, and did all drink the same spiritual drink. 
for they drank of that spiritual rock. Now he's talking about when the rock, when the water was, uh, uh, when the water came out of the rock. You remember the story? We'll look back at it. It's Exodus chapter 17. Exodus 17. We'll look at that in just a moment. So if you want to go ahead and turn there and get a head start on it, you can. But it said they all did drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. Now that's an interesting way to say that, isn't it? They drank of the spiritual rock that followed them. Now, I'm, I'm smart aleck enough to get cartoon pictures when the Bible says certain things. Can't you see the children of Israel going down, going, you know, in the direction that God tells them to go? And there's this giant rock that rolls behind them all the way that they, you know, all the way to the promised land. Well, that's not what it means. But notice it identifies Jesus as that spiritual rock. That rock is Christ. The rock is always a type of Jesus in the scripture. And it says they all did drink of that spiritual rock, the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Now turn back with me to Exodus chapter 17, if you will. Let's look at some of these things. Exodus chapter 17, the the children of Israel have just... um, Come from the promised land. They've crossed the Red Sea over in chapter 14. Moses' song of gratitude is chapter 15. Chapter 16 is when they go into the wilderness of sin and God sends manna for food. He, uh, uh, they brings, uh, healing to the, of the waters in the last part of chapter 15 as well. Chapter 17 tells us that after God has already started providing for them, verse one, and all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from their journeys, journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys, according to the commandment of the Lord, and pitched in Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do you tempt the Lord? Now let's stop and put this in a, uh, kind of pull it away from the spiritual context and look at it from what it is. Moses is leading these people, these several million people. We don't know how many. Most estimates go anywhere from three to seven million people. But uh, Moses is leading these people through the wilderness. Now, it takes a long time. It takes a big space to move seven million people. It takes a big space to move just a couple of million people. So this is not a trip to the grocery store on the corner. Everything they do takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of uh, logistics and uh, and so forth. Somebody uh, that uh, there was a Christian man that was part of the Army Corps of Engineers, and uh, and he identified one time how much it would take um, for for just a couple of million people. I think he said to provide for them and and um, uh, you know what it would take the army. And the 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 numbers of train loads of food and stuff like that was just staggering. I mean, it was it was amazing. I've got it somewhere. I kept the thing somewhere, but it, uh, I'll get it out every couple of years and look at it because it's just absolutely amazing. Not only the space that it would take to put everybody in. I mean, you can't just go out into the field next door and, and camp out, you know. And it was it was a, a real difficult effort. And God would lead Moses to certain places. But then they'd get to some of these places and then there wasn't food or there wasn't water or there wasn't what the people thought they would need. And so the people would say, Moses, what a lousy leader you are. And then Moses would turn around and say, I brought you where God told me to tell you, take you. What are you complaining to me for? Well, every time that happened, God was trying to show himself strong on their behalf. Verse 30, verse 3. And the people thirsted there for water, and the people murmured against Moses. It was always Moses' fault. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our cattle with our, our children with our cattle with thirst? Yeah, it was all Moses doing. He's the one that caused those plagues in Egypt, you know. He's the one that parted the Red Sea. God didn't have anything to do with this. This is all Moses with some conspiracy to kill them all. Well, that's what they're complaining about, folks. And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people, and take with thee of the elders of Israel, and the rod wherewith thou smotest the river, that's talking about the Red Sea, and take it in your hand and go. Behold, I will stand before thee upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the chiding of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Now, First Corinthians 10 tells us that this rock was Christ. 
It tells us, in other words, that this is a type or an illustration of something about Jesus. And notice what Moses was instructed to do. Moses was instructed to take the rod, the same rod that he parted the Red Sea with, and hit the rock. Now, why is this rod, which is a symbol of God's power given unto Moses, who's the leader that God chose, why is this symbol one of smiting or striking the rock? Because it's a type of God striking Jesus on the cross. Now, it's real important that you get this because this is going to happen twice. And Moses messes up the second one. But the first example that we're supposed to learn from, this spiritual rock that provided for the children of Israel. Now, water is always a type of the Spirit. So a type of the Spirit could be anything that you need. It's a power of the Holy Ghost for anything that you need. This could be a type of healing. It could be a type of, of provision. It could be a type of anything because it's all by the power of the Holy Ghost. So it's a type of the Spirit of God. The water is a type of the Spirit of God, but the rock that the water comes from is a type of Jesus. And the first example that the, we see this rock shown, which represents Jesus, is when is the example of God smiting Jesus on the cross. You remember Isaiah chapter 53? Isaiah said, uh, speaking by uh, the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, he said, we considered him stricken, smitten of God. Well, on the cross, Jesus stopped looking like a human being. When the sin of mankind was laid upon Jesus, he didn't look human. Isaiah goes further. He says, we didn't see anything in him that we would desire him. His visage was marred in such a manner that he didn't look like a man. Well, why? What would cause that? That's when God made Jesus sin on the cross. You remember in Numbers chapter 21, it tells about uh, the type of Jesus uh, that um, uh, that Jesus refers to over in John chapter 3. He said, except the Son of Man be lifted up like Moses lifted up the serpent of brass on the in the wilderness. Well, what was it that God told Moses to lift up before the people to heal them of the, of the poisonous snake bites? It was a brass serpent. It wasn't a lamb. It was a serpent. Now, why is that? Why would God put something that that is uh, illustrates Satan or illustrates sin on a pole for the people to look at? Because Jesus on the cross was made sin. Jesus was not a righteous man on the cross. He started off a righteous man going to the cross, but he was made sin as he hung there. And when that was complete, that's why the Bible says that darkness covered the face of the earth. It says the sun went behind um, or the sun was blacked out. And darkness covered the face of the earth. Why? Because at that moment in time, for that three-hour period, there was no hope for mankind because Jesus, the Redeemer, was made sin. We like to think of Jesus as uh, the, the sweet Son of God, the Lamb of God. God's always putting his arm around Jesus and that kind of stuff. But folks, you need to realize, on the cross, the Bible says Jesus was made sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin was made to be sin. Now, you can play with the words all you want to, but it means what it says. It literally says that Jesus became sin. That's tough for us from a religious point of view. How could the Son of God become sin? Because God laid it on him. God caused him to become sin. Now, when I say laid it on him, I don't mean he just put it on him like you put a coat on your back. Because if that's what Jesus, if that's how Jesus was made to be sin, then that means that's the only way you can made, be made righteous. That means our righteousness is not a nature. It's just something that we wear so that God can say, well, yeah, we'll act like it's true. But instead, the Bible says in the same way that you were made to be righteous, Jesus was made to be sin. Well, how were we made to be righteous? By a new birth. Jesus fell. On the cross, not through his own actions, but because of what God made him, Jesus became sin just as surely as Adam became sin when he sinned in the Garden of Eden. So Jesus was lifted up from the earth according to his own testimony. He was lifted up to the, from the earth just like Moses lifted up that brass serpent. And that's what we're supposed to look at. That's what Israel, as fulfilling a type for us, was supposed to behold is sin on the cross, sin dying, a man sent from God, becoming sin, dying on your behalf. That's tough from a religious point of view, isn't it? But it's true. So, it says in the same way, Jesus 
was smitten of God. And that's what this illustration here is in uh, Exodus chapter 17. It's showing a type, an illustration of how God, through his own power, represented in the rod of Moses, how that God would strike that which represents Jesus. And the result would be water, life-giving water, the Spirit of God that brings us into the kingdom of God. Now turn with me over to Numbers chapter 20. A lot of things happen in these chapters. Numbers chapter 20 tells us now that the children of Israel have already gotten to the promised land. They're supposed to have gotten to their destination, but they rebel against God. They come back from spying out the land and they say, well, the land is everything Moses said it would be, everything God told Moses that it was supposed to be. But there are people that are strong that live in those cities and they've got walls around those cities and they're too big for us and we can't take it. They rebelled against God by bringing what the Bible calls an evil report of unbelief. So they wind up spending 40 years in the wilderness as a result. Now, during that time in the wilderness, God doesn't give up on them. He doesn't stop providing for them. Let's um, let's start reading in verse 1 of Numbers chapter 20. It said, Then came the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, into the desert of Zin in the first month, and the people abode in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. And there was no water for the congregation. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people chowed with Moses and spake, saying, Would God that we had died with our brethren and when our brethren died before the Lord. Now, the brethren that they're talking about are the ones that died because of their unbelief in Numbers chapter 13. I have no idea why God picked the, the Jews as his chosen people. I mean, it's almost like he looked around and said, what's the most rebellious people I can find? I'll choose them. These guys just will not get it. And so now they're in the wilderness and they're, and, and, and without any recollection or remembrance, apparently, that God caused water to come from the rock the first time. And they're saying, man, it'd been better for us if we had died before the Lord, just like the rest of the spies did, the 10 spies that they came back with an evil report and the others that died with them. And wherefore, verse five, Oh, verse 4. And why have you, Moses fault again, and why have you brought up the congregation of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our cattle should die there? And wherefore have you made us to come up out of Egypt to bring us unto this evil place? It is not a place of seed or figs or vines or pomegranates, neither is there any water to drink. Well, they forfeited all that when they said they couldn't take the promised land, didn't they? Now it's Moses' fault because they did. And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and they fell upon their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, I get what God told Moses to do. The Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, same rod that he struck the rock with in Exodus 17. Take the rod, and gather you, gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron, thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes. Now, here's the reason that the Bible says that that spiritual rock was Christ and it followed them around. Because it didn't matter where they were. They're not back in Horeb. They're not back where the first rock was was struck and water came out. They've traveled many, many, many miles from that point in, uh, from that place and that point in time. But it doesn't matter where they are. It's telling us that because the rock represented Jesus and Jesus went with them wherever they went, water could come from any rock. It wouldn't matter as long as they had the word of the Lord telling them what to do. So take ye the rod and gather the assembly together, you and Aaron, your brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water. And thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock, so shalt thou give the congregation and their beasts drink. Now, the amount of water that it's going to take to, to, to water all these people and the animals and everything is is like the Mississippi River. I mean, we're not talking about, and there'll be a little small lake there upon where everybody can take turns. We're talking about a huge, huge, huge amount of water. So Moses took the rod, verse 9, from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the, gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he, Moses said unto them, hear ye now, you rebels, we must, or must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice. 
And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and the beasts also. Now, everybody in the congregation is saying, wow, here's water again. This is great. Moses hit that last rock in Exodus 17. Now he's hitting this rock. Look at what happens every time Moses hit rocks. But God speaks to Moses. Moses knew what he did. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron and said, because you believe me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. This is the water of Meribah, because the children of Israel strove with the Lord, and he was sanctified in them. Now, I want you to see how serious this was with God. God said, Moses, because you messed up my illustration, because you messed up the type of Jesus. The first type was God smiting the rock, Jesus being smitten on the cross. This one, however, was supposed to represent something else. And because you showed it to be God smiting the rock the second time, you're not going into the promised land. Now, this is interesting to me because just a few verses or a few chapters before in Numbers chapter 13 is where Israel rebels against God and Moses is saying, you better not do this. You better not do this. Now, just a few chapters later, Moses is rebelling against what God told him to do. And it kept him out of the promised land. Now, what was it about this type where Moses was supposed to speak to the rock that was so important that caused such a great consequence? Very simple, folks. The first time... Water came from the rock because it was smitten of God or the representation of God smiting Jesus on the cross. But water is not supposed to come from the rock by being smitten ever again. Jesus has been smitten by God once and for all. From that point forward, water comes from the rock through words. Now turn back with me to Numbers chapter 13. Here's where the children of Israel rebel against God. This is not a new concept. Moses should have known this. He should have recognized as soon as God said, speak to the rock, that there was something very, very significant about this. Because in Numbers chapter 13, it tells us that the 12 spies go into the land of Canaan, the promised land, and they come back. We'll start reading in verse 27. They told him and said, we came into the land, whether thou sendest us. This is them, the 12 spies, giving a report. Actually, the 10 spies, 10 of the 12, are giving a report back to Moses and the children of Israel. We came into the land, whether thou sendest us, and surely... It flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. In other words, the promised land is just as great as Moses told us it was going to be. Folks, the promised land is even better than you think that it might be. The promised land, which represents everything that belongs to us as believers in Jesus, the baptism of the Holy Ghost, provision, healing, the promised land is better than you could imagine. And it's all there for the taking. He said, this is the fruit of it. Verse 28, nevertheless... Here's their objection. Here's their problem with the promised land. Nothing wrong with the promised land. God made it to be just exactly what he said. But here's what kept them from receiving from it or taking part in it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. Moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. The Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. In other words, they said there are problems that will keep us from taking part of or or partaking of the promised land that God has made. We can't take it because of the obstacles in front of us. Now, folks, I want you to understand God gets really, really upset with these people for the very simple reason that there are no obstacles that can keep you from partaking of the promised land blessings. None, unless you choose to let them. God gets upset with these people because they forget how that God just has destroyed not too many, well, a couple of years before this point in time, two years and probably about two, less than two and a half years, two years and three months more than likely. Before this point in time, God has destroyed the strongest army on the face of the earth without Israel ever firing a shot or throwing a spear or throwing a rock or anything. And now they're saying these people are too strong. These people are going to keep us out of what God said is ours. Folks, there is nothing that can keep you out of what God said is yours unless you decide that it can. Caleb, one of the two spies, two of the twelve, Caleb and Joshua, were the two that stuck with God on this. Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Now, they saw the same thing. Caleb and Joshua saw the same thing the other ten saw. Saw the same cities, same same walls around those cities, same people, same Jebusites, same Amorites, same Anakites, same 
whoever writes are in there. They saw all the same people. They saw all the same circumstances. What made Caleb say, we can do this? Now, here's how it works. You get two people seeing the same thing coming away with two different positions. You got one part of the church that will say, oh, we can't can't take it. We can't have the things that the Bible says are ours. Yeah, I know the Bible says that a lot of things are ours. The Bible says that whatever we ask in the name of Jesus, we can have. But you know it doesn't really work that way. It doesn't work that way in real life. In other words, real life is too tough for the promise of God to be real. So you got other people that turn around and say, wait a minute, God said this, we can do this. What makes the difference? The determination of the, on the part of the individual. God's not different for one than he is another. The promised land is not different for one than it is another. The only thing that's different is the determination of the individual. Will you or will you not have the blessing that God has made available? Now, remember, part of the promised land blessing is healing. So we could turn this around and say exactly the same thing about the subject of healing. There is nothing, there is no obstacle that can keep you out of the blessing of healing because God's made it available as a part of the promised land blessing. The question is, will you or will you not take hold of it? You decide, not God. God made provision for it. We know that even from the Old Testament. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. Same blessing. Healing is just as easy to take hold of as forgiveness of sins. But it's by the determination of the individual. Caleb said, still the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Why? Because you're so sharp, Caleb. You learned how to fight in these last two years? No, because God's on our side. God said the land's ours. That's all it takes for him. But the men, verse 31, the men, that means the twelve, the, the ten of the twelve spies. But the men that went up with him said, we be not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. Again, I don't understand why somebody didn't step up and say, wait a minute, wasn't Pharaoh's army stronger than us too? Seriously? You think we defeated Pharaoh because we were stronger than them? You didn't have to do anything for Pharaoh's army to be defeated. Remember that Red Sea thing? Has God forgotten how to do stuff like that? Whole reason for doing that was to bring us here. If he did that for us just to get us out of Egypt, what will he do to get us into the promised land? Folks, you can always turn things either into a positive or a negative. You can always take it a position, a determination of spirit to make things either a negative, I can't have it and here's why, or I can have it and here's why I will. It's your choice. It's always up to you. I think too many Christians are sitting back saying, well, if God wants it to happen, it's going to happen. Well, it sure didn't here. God wanted it to happen. He brought them to the place where it could happen, and he left it up to them to decide whether or not they would have it or whether or not it would happen. And they said no, so God said, okay. Have it your way. Spend those 40 years in the wilderness and die off out there. Much better choice, don't you think? I wonder if it would have been tougher for them to take the promised land or to die in the wilderness. Man, with all the stuff they endure out in the wilderness, I think it would have been tougher to do that than what they said was the harder road in taking the promised land. Folks, turning away from God is always the harder road. It may not look like it up front, but it's always the harder road. But the men that went up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, please notice this. The thing that kept them out of the promised land is what they said. This is why I have a hard time with Moses over in chapter 20. Moses, you know this. You understand this. God explained this. You know that it's about the words that you speak. You know that the blessings of God come from the words that you speak. Why did you hit that rock the second time? Folks, I'm not sure exactly how it works in heaven, but if I see Moses in heaven, I am, my first question is going to be, what in the world were you thinking? And I know what his answer is going to be. (laughs) I know. It doesn't make any sense at all, does it? 
had a mental lapse. What else could it possibly be? The children of Israel, the, the ten spies, brought up an evil report. Now, isn't it interesting that the Bible says that the evil report is the thing they said? See, we think of evil as being lying and cheating and stealing and stuff like that. And those things are evil. There's no question about it. But what the Bible calls evil in a greater sense, in a spiritual sense, in an eternal sense, is what you say contrary to or against the word of God rather than the lying, the cheating, and stealing that everybody's trying to avoid. And we should, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's okay to lie and cheat and steal as long as you say the right things. We should avoid lying and cheating and stealing and every evil work. But what the Bible identifies and emphasizes as evil is speaking against God's word. We don't think of evil in that terms too much, too much or, or most people don't at least. Most churches don't. They'll stand up in church and speak contrary to what the word of God says and then say, praise the Lord. Yet if it's against what God's word says, it's evil no matter who says it. But the men brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched under the children of Israel, saying, here's how evil reports are delivered, saying, the land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. Now, the last part's not true. The enemies did not see Israel as grasshoppers because 40 years later, when they get to the promised land the second time, and Joshua is the leader of the children of Israel. He sends two spies into the promised land. They find Rahab the harlot and they say, and Rahab the harlot says, man, we've been afraid of you guys for 40 years. We heard about God departing the Red Sea for you 40 years ago. We've been wondering where you went. We've been afraid because we know the land is yours. I saw a quote the other day that said this. Some uh, Christian leader said this back in the 1800s. He said this. He said, don't believe the devil even if what he's saying is true. I like that. Because sometimes the devil will tell you the truth. But the fact is the devil, don't believe what he says. Here he's lying to them about what their enemies think about them. And that's certainly not true. But they were convinced. They said, we are in our own sight as grasshoppers, and that's the way our enemies see us too. Uh-uh. And so all the congregation lifts up their voice. And weeps and wails and says, oh, how terrible it is. Because ten of our beloved brethren have told us that we can't take the promised land. Now, the congregation could have stood up and said, wait a minute. Who are you guys? We remember what God did to Pharaoh. We remember coming out of Egypt through the Red Sea. We remember the manna coming from heaven. We remember the water coming out of the rock. God's taking care of us every step along the way. He wouldn't bring us here to destroy us. That land is ours. He said so. See, folks, you don't have to listen to the people that are telling you lies. But they did. They listened and they lifted up their voice. And Caleb and Joshua stepped back in and tried to convince them, try to turn them around before it's too late. They tried to turn them around, but they were unable to do so. But God said, um, well, let's see. He says to them, well, let's start in verse 24. Here's God's attitude. Verse 23, now verse 22. Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did. This is chapter 14. Did I tell you that? Numbers chapter 14, verse 22. Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times. Ten different people he calls that ten temptations. These ten times, and have not hearkened to my voice. Surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. Please notice that God says when you say you can't do what the Bible says you can do, when you say you can't have what the Bible says is yours, that's provoking God. Now, folks, that's not my idea. That's what the Bible says. And they provoked him. Or neither shall they, any of them that provoked me see it, God says. But now he speaks of Caleb who was the one that stilled the people and said, we can do this. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him, 
and has followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereunto he went, and his seeds shall possess it. Please notice, folks, the ones that take the promised land are the ones that say, God said it's mine, so we can do this. No matter what obstacles are in front of you, no matter what the enemy looks like, no matter what the circumstances are, the one that says, I can do this, will have it. God said so. I'll bring Caleb in and give it to his seed. Verse 26, And the Lord spoke unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation which murmur against me? I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel which which they murmur against me. Say unto them, here's the answer, here's what I want them to know. Say unto them, as truly as I live, saith the Lord. Now, I've got to stop right there for those of you that don't know what that means. Whenever God swears by himself, whenever he says, as truly as I live, he is saying something more than, I really mean this. When he says, as truly as I live, you need to stop and think about what does that mean. Is it true that God lives? Is God alive? How is God alive? What is his life like? It's eternal. God will always live. So when he says, as truly as I live, he's saying, just as eternal as I am, this is an eternal law. As truly as I live, saith the Lord. One translation says it this way. Uh, let me say, I've written some down here. The RSV says, what you have said in my hearing, I will do unto you. Uh, the um, uh, American translation says, as I live, it is the oracle of the, of the Lord. I will do to you just as I have heard you say. As truly as I live, it's an unchanging law. As you have spoken it in my ears, so will I do unto you. Now, what did they say? Well, in the verses we didn't read, they said, oh, man, it had been better for us if we had died in the wilderness. God said, oops. Guess what? Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness. And all that were numbered of you according to your whole number from 20 years old and upward, which have murmured against me. He goes on in verse 34. He says, after the number of the days in which you search the land, even 40 days, each day for a year shall you bear your iniquities, even 40 years, and you shall know my breach of promise. In other words, you shall know how you broke my promise to you. So what does Moses know? What have the children of Israel learned? That God deals with you according to what you say. Go back over with me to chapter 20 again. Let's look at that one more time now. God says to Moses concerning the water for the children of Israel. Verse 7, And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock. That rock represents Jesus. And speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, before their eyes. In other words, he's saying, set an example for them, Moses. Show them that my blessings come through the words that they say. Speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock. So shalt thou give the congregation and their beasts drink. Turn with me over to Mark chapter 5. Here's why this is such a great, great, great story of someone receiving their healing in Jesus' ministry. Verse 25, And a certain woman which had an issue of blood twelve years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing better, but rather grew worse, when she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment, for she said... Now, folks, we're going to find out later on in this story that everybody that's getting close enough to Jesus to touch him is, is reaching out to grab hold of him. Everybody has heard. These are, these are multitudes of people thronging around Jesus. We don't know how big that is, but certainly thousands of people are trying to get to it. And everybody that can is pushing other people out of the way to reach out and grab a hold of Jesus. Jesus finally asked later on in the story, who touched me? And the disciple says, everybody's touching you. What do you mean, who touched you? Everybody that can get close enough to touch you is touching you. So it's not just her touching him that does it. Because everybody else, if just touching him physically was doing it, everybody else would have gotten something too. But she touched him in a different way. She's the only one in these crowds of thousands, whoever, however many it is. She's the only one in the group that gets something from him because she does something more than physically touching him. She touches him because of something that she has been saying. The touch is the physical action, but the belief 
is the words that she's been saying. When she heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind. Well, guess why everybody else is there? Because they've heard of Jesus too. But whatever she heard of Jesus caused her to take a different position and a a different action than the rest of the crowd. Romans 10, 17 says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Whatever she heard caused her to release faith in her heart by the words that she spoke. Nobody else is doing that, apparently. Everybody else is hearing about Jesus and they're going to get the thrilling touch. They're looking for goosebumps instead of really believing anything. When she heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind and touched his garment for or because she said. Another translation says, and the word literally means this, she began to say. In other words, she's been saying this before she ever got to Jesus. Now, what is the the eternal, never-changing law of God? God said, as truly as I live, as you have spoken in my ears, so shall I do unto you. What's she been saying? Well, let's see. When she heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, she had begun to say, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. Now, folks, everybody knows Jesus is healing. That's why everybody's trying to touch him. There's not a chance in the world that she's the only sick person in this crowd. Not a chance. Because Jesus has done miracles, he's done healing miracles, great multitudes are going to him for everywhere he shows up. Every time people can find out where he is or where he's going to be, people show up. Sick people are coming from every quarter to try to get to him. This is no exception. The only difference is this is not a meeting where Jesus is sitting down or staying in one place and speaking to the people, teaching them or such. This is where he's going from point A to point B and the crowd is following along with him trying to get something on the way. She does the same thing, but she does it from a different position from her heart. How do we know what was in her heart? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Matthew 12. She heard of Jesus and touched him for she said, because she had been saying, if I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. If I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. If I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. Do you realize the children of Israel could have avoided 40 years in the wilderness complaining about God every day along the way if they had just said, if we can just get over into the promised land, we can take it. If we can just get our feet on the promised land, all we got to do is cross that Jordan River. If we can just get across that river, we can have the promised land. Do you realize they could have avoided 40 years of misery in their lives? I wonder how many years of misery Christians today could avoid if they just begin to agree with God's word and say what he said. But instead, you got people, Christians, saved, truly saved, going to heaven, loving God with all their heart. No question about it. That are spending years and years and years in misery here on this earth by saying, well, I know Jesus healed, but it's not like that today. And what's the unchanging law of God? The eternal, unchanging law of God is according to the words that you speak in God's ear, that's how he deals with you. In other words, healing won't be yours unless you say it's yours. But Jesus paid for it all the time. It's part of the promised land blessing. Always has been and always will be. Well, what does that mean then? It means simply this. It's not up to God, it's up to you. If it was up to God, then we'd have to question, is healing part of the the redemptive work of Jesus? And the Bible identifies very simply, yes, it is. Isaiah 53, 5, that talks about it's the redemptive chapter. Everybody agrees that it's a redemptive chapter. There's only one time that the word surely, S-U-R-E-L-Y, is in that chapter. And it's regarding sickness. Surely he has borne our sickness and carried our infirmities. Surely. It's almost like God wanted to make sure you knew that. Now, interestingly enough, he didn't say, surely he has borne your iniquities. Why? Because nobody argues that. But it's almost as if, now don't get me wrong, I'm not saying this this way, but it's almost as if God could see into the future and recognize that the church would argue not about the forgiveness of sins, but about whether or not healing was a part of the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross. 
And to answer the question once and for all, he said, surely he has borne our griefs, sicknesses, and carried our pains. And with his stripes we were healed. And guess who that settles the question for? All those that say the word of God is true. When she heard, had heard of Jesus, verse 27 again, she came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, she began to say, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway, the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. Please notice she didn't feel anything until after she said and acted. A lot of people are waiting to feel healed. And they'll say, oh yeah, it's mine. Jesus healed me. The feeling doesn't come until after you speak. I wonder what she felt like when she spoke. I wonder, and whatever time period that is, we don't know. When did she hear of Jesus? Was it the day before? Was it a week before? Was it a month before? And she's been trying to find out where he is ever since. Any of those things are possible. It's some period of time when she heard of Jesus that caused her to want to find him. And then she started to say, if I can just touch him, I'll be whole. That tells me that she heard about other people being healed by touching Jesus. If she had heard that people were healed by water baptisms, then she could have said, started saying, it would have made sense if she had started saying, if I can just get Jesus to baptize me in water, then I'll be healed too. But the fact is, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. The fact that she said, if I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole, tells me that she's heard about people being healed by touching Jesus. And so that's what she sets her faith on. But how long has she been saying it? See, everybody wants instant results. And I say everybody, meaning me too. I like them. The thing is, you've got to make sure that you don't let the lack of instant results keep you from believing. And a lot of people do. A lot of people get discouraged because their symptoms don't change immediately. Their circumstances don't change. So they say, well, I guess that didn't work. Well, wait a minute. The Bible doesn't say it'll work because something happens instantly. The Bible says it'll work because you say it. God said, I'll deal with you as according as you have spoken in my ears. You know why I confess the word? Because I want to make sure God hears me saying it. Because he deals with me according to his words, according to what he said was his unchanging law. He deals with me according to what he hears me say. So I want to make sure to give him every opportunity to listen. How long are you going to keep speaking the word, Pastor Mike? Till Jesus comes. Yeah, but but are you, but does that mean you're going to stand in faith for one thing for forever if you have to? If I have to, yeah. You're not going to catch me doing what the ten spies did. You're not going to catch me on any day, no matter how down I feel or how circumstances are lined up against me. You're never going to hear me say, well, I guess that wasn't right after all. Maybe healing's not for everybody. Never. Uh-uh. Well, how long is it going to take, though, Pastor Mike? You know, I don't know. But let me tell you this. If I get to heaven before I get the answer to what I've been saying, trust me, I'm going to stand before Jesus and say, Lord, you didn't tell the truth. You said that you'd deal with me according to the words that I spoke, and I was speaking. Now, you may think that's arrogance. You may think that's sacrilegious. But, folks, God knows my heart. You may not, but God knows my heart. I don't have any tone of arrogance in that whatsoever. I don't have any tones of of, uh, uh, of resentment. I don't have any kind of ill will or, or wrong attitude, blasphemous attitude about that whatsoever. I'm just saying God's word has to be true. Jesus said heaven and earth will pass away, and they will. But God's word will never fail. That means God's word cannot fail me. Let me read a verse of Scripture. I'll come back. We'll finish uh, from Mark chapter 5. But let me read a verse of Scripture to you from Psalm 27. I love this Scripture. This is David. Psalm 27, verse 13. He said, uh, I had fainted. King James says, I had fainted. Another translation, uh, the literal translation says it this way. I would have fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Do you understand what that's saying? That's David saying, you know, I got so discouraged at times that I would have given up completely, except I had promises of God to believe in. 
Folks, I got to tell you, that's where I am. I can't tell you the number of times in my life that that's been true for me. When it looks like everything's against you, when it looks like everything's impossible, when it looks like it can't happen, except for the promise of God, it's been a great time to give up. But just like David said, I would have fainted unless if I hadn't had the promises of God to believe for, to believe to see in the land of the living, here, now, not in heaven. I'm not looking for the promises of God in heaven. I won't need the promises of God in heaven. Heaven's already taken care of. They've got gold streets up there. You're not going to have to believe for one thing in provision, regarding provision or healing or anything like that in heaven. Not one thing. There's not one thing you can ever imagine or hope for that heaven hasn't already provided for. It's not there that we need the promises of God. It's here. That's why I'll never give up. Never. I don't care how long something takes. Really, time is not my problem. It's God's problem, and he's got to make sure that it gets it to me before Jesus comes back. Or else he's going to have me in his face. You may think I'm kidding about that, but I mean that seriously. I'm going to say, wait a minute. Not only was I believing you, you sent me down there to preach this. Back to Mark 5. When she had heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, she began saying... Before she ever got there, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus immediately knowing in himself that virtue, King James says virtue is literally the word power, that power had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Master, thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? That's King James English for saying, Everybody's touching you. What do you mean, who touched you? Who didn't? Everybody's reaching out to grab hold of you. But Jesus looked round about to see her that had done this thing. He knew somebody had touched him differently. He can feel everybody else's touch. He can feel everybody else's hands all over him. But somebody's touched him differently because somebody drew power from him. Now, this is what you need to see. It's not Jesus that knew she was coming that stopped and said, okay, I have a vibration here. Somebody feels like they're in faith. It's not the woman with the issue of blood that's waiting for Jesus to act. She acts in faith by reaching out because of what she said, reaching out and taking hold of him, and that's what activates the power. God didn't have one thing to do with the power being activated. She did. That's too hard for most people to accept. Most people have this idea that if God really wants something to happen, God's going to work it out and God's going to do it. And God's waiting on you to take a position of agreeing with his word and saying what his word says to take hold of the promised land blessings. Jesus looked round about to see her that had done this thing with the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her. Notice that she went from believing to feeling to knowing. She went from believing. We know that because of what she said. Jesus is going to identify that it was her faith that made her whole. Her faith was identified by her words. She went from speaking to feeling to knowing. The woman fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, verse 34, daughter, your faith has made you whole. How do we know it was her faith? Because of what she said. Jesus calls her words that led to the actions, the same actions that everybody else is taking. Please don't get me wrong. It's not that she took a different action than anybody else. She did exactly the same thing everybody else did, but from a different position of her heart, from a different motive of heart. And Jesus said, daughter, your faith has made you whole. What does that mean? It was your faith, your words that activated the power of God that caused your healing to to be realized. Daughter, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace and be whole as I plague. What did she do? She spoke to the rock. She spoke to the rock. She received of the promise of God. She received of the living waters of the, of the Spirit of God, which is the healing power of God. She partook of those things by speaking Words in the ear of God. 
What words did she say? If I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. What was the basis of the foundation for her saying those words? God sent a man down here to heal. Now, what about us? I've never been able to reach out and physically touch Jesus, have you? What about us? See, some people will take that position and they'll say, well, if only we could have lived when Jesus was here on the earth. Remember, Jesus told his disciples, it's better for you that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the comforter can't come. So he's saying it's better for us that the Holy Spirit is given to us, that he can live on the inside of us, than to have lived in Jesus' day and just be around for, to be able to touch him anytime we wanted to. Why? Because we don't touch Jesus physically like the woman did in Mark chapter 5. Instead, we have union with him. Remember Jesus said in John chapter 15, he said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. The branch can't do anything, can't produce anything except the life of the vine be in him. That's what it means now for you to speak to the rock. That's what it means now for you and me to speak God's word. We're not just close enough to where we can reach out at arm's length and touch him. We are united with him. Do you realize how much closer that is than a physical touch? That's why Jesus said, it's better for you that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit can't come. If the Holy Spirit can't come, you can't be in me. But now that you're in me, all the promised land blessings are yours to those who will speak. Because God's law is unchanging. God's law is the same in Numbers chapter 14 as it is today. It's the same in Numbers chapter 14 as it was in her day. Notice she didn't have to get some special provision from God that enabled her to be able to say what she would have about her healing. Well, what enabled her to do it? God sent a man to heal. Yeah, but what about in our day? God sent a healing man to live inside of you. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus was the healer then. He's the healer now. And you activate it the same way now as she activated in Jesus' day. She spoke and reached out to take hold of it. What do we do? We speak in line with the word of God. We speak the healing promises of God. And we reach out to take hold of it by faith. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for the promises of God that are given unto us. Thank you for the promised land blessings of healing and well-being in every area. Lord, we declare that Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses, and with his stripes we are healed. Actually, we need to say that. Say this after me. In the name of Jesus, I believe God's word. And God's word says, Jesus took my infirmities. And bore my sicknesses. And with his stripes, I was healed. If I was healed, when Jesus went to the cross, I am healed now. Therefore, I declare, by faith, according to God's word, healing is mine. The healing power of God is at work in my body. To affect a healing and a cure. From the top of my head. To the soles of my feet. In Jesus name. Whatever must be changed. For me to be restored. To divine health. Is being changed. Now. In Jesus name. Thank you father. That I'm healed. In Jesus name. Now lift your hands and thank Him because that's true. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. The healing is ours. Healing is ours. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, I don't feel anything. She didn't feel anything when she started saying it either. But I can promise you this. You keep saying it and you'll feel something. And then you'll go from feeling something to knowing that you've been healed by the stripes of Jesus. Amen? Folks, never, ever, ever give up. I don't care if it takes a day. I don't care if it takes a month. I don't care if it takes the rest of your life. Never give up because God's word is true. When you take that attitude, it won't take long. When you let the devil know from your heart and really mean it, 
I'm never turning back on this. Take your best shot, Mr. Devil, because I will never turn away from the truth of God's Word. His chains fall away like they were made of silly putty. Amen. Amen. Well, let's see if there's anything else the Lord wants us to do before we go. Oh, Father, we love you. Such a privilege to speak words of faith to receive the promises that Jesus has accomplished for us. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for doing a great work. We thank you for the supernatural results that will come from our words spoken in faith this night. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us. We love you. You're dismissed.